You may be seated. Before I begin this morning, uh, a couple of things, kind of housekeeping things. First of all, we all survived the Great Litany, so good job. Um, if, you're, if you're new here with us, that's not something we do every Sunday. That's something we do uh, during particularly penitential times where we're looking to God and asking him uh, for his help, um, making supplication for ourselves and for the world. And um, the beautiful thing about the Great Litany is that it covers just about everything. So uh, we're all really well prayed up this morning. Um, but, uh, but the second thing this morning is there are, there are more folks here than I anticipated. So did, did anyone not get a bulletin who needs one? Did anyone not get a bulletin? Okay. All right. Good. So everyone's, everyone's good. We had just the right number, it seems, which is good. Um, you may or may not be able to hear my voice that I'm still just a little bit under the weather. Um, I, my voice has mostly come back, but I don't have quite the range I normally do. That's why uh, you didn't hear me singing in falsetto this morning. Um, but, uh, but the other day, I've, I've been enough under the weather that the other day I finally caved and decided to get a doctor. I've been in Moultrie almost a year now. Um, I figured it was time to get a doctor, you know. Um, so, uh, so I went to, uh, to do that. And, of course, every time you become a new patient, I don't know how long it's been since you've become a new patient, but there's a, a stack of paperwork that, that would rival the IRS um, and, uh, and it struck me this time how very much of the, the, the new patient form uh, consists of things that are just completely outside of my control. Um, so particularly family history. You know, I was, was writing down sort of my mother's medical history, my father's medical history, my paternal grandmother, paternal grandfather, uh, maternal grandmother, maternal grandfather, my siblings. And writing all of this down, I thought, you know, it's really unfair uh, that, that all of their medical conditions weigh so heavily upon me um, because I had no choice in the matter. Um, and I don't actually, I don't know how much you've thought about it. Uh, I mean, really taking a moment to think about it, but uh, there's, there's so much of our lives that's simply not under our control. So much of the world that we come into, uh, turns out, was there before we got to it. Um, and a lot of the life we live was settled for us before we even entered the world. You didn't decide where you would be born. Right. You didn't decide what language you would speak. Um, Now, you may later in life decide to speak other languages, but you don't get to choose what that first language is, that that heart language, the language of your childhood. Um, You didn't decide what culture you would be surrounded by, what the values of that culture would be that you would spend the rest of your life either agreeing with or or fighting against. Um, You didn't decide what country you would be a citizen of. Um, You didn't decide uh, what assumptions you would be raised with, what community you would be a part of. All of those things were things that were decided for you before you came into the world. Now, I share that with you because we so often live our lives as if we're individuals who are free to determine our own purpose, free to decide our own direction in life or or pursue our own happiness, um, to use the language of the Constitution. Freedom is a high value for us, the freedom to determine our own purpose. Um, probably the best image I've seen of this is a statue. I, I feel like I've told you guys about this before, but it's an image you need to be reminded of often. It's a statue in Colorado uh, entitled The Self-Made Man. And this statue is a, a picture of a man, kind of a classically sculpted you know, um, man in the romantic uh, style of sculpture, uh, you know, very muscular and everything. And he's got a chisel and a hammer, and uh, half of the statue is this man, and the other half is just uh, stone. And he's, he's got the chisel pointed towards the stone and the hammer, and he's literally chiseling himself out of stone. The statue's called the self-made man. 
Now, obviously, that, that strikes us as ironic for several reasons, um, not the least of which is the fact that someone had to make the self-made man. Um, but it is, I think, the way we see ourselves. We as Americans, we, we may have disagreements about what to do with our freedom, what to do with our freedom of choice, what to do with that right to self-determination. Uh, but all of us assume that we have it, right? If we don't like our situation, we pick ourselves up and change it. If we don't like our circumstances, we John Wayne the whole thing and we fix our circumstances. Um, that's why Psalm 51 verse 5 just rubs us completely the wrong way. This psalm is a prayer of confession and repentance from King David. It's written after the, the life-changing sin of his indiscretion with Bathsheba. This was a turning point in his life. This was uh, as close to a defining sinful action as we get for David. He, um, uh, he, he sees Bathsheba. They uh, commit adultery together. And then to cover it up, he murders Bathsheba's husband. Um, and Psalm 51.5 is written after this, this whole affair, after um, he's, he's uh, convicted of his sin by the prophet Nathan um, and, and decides to turn back to God. In verse 5, in this context, in this context of repentance, um, which is not a, a despairing context. We'll come a little bit later to the hopeful things that are here in the psalm. But in verse 5, he admits this. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in wickedness. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Now, David doesn't mean that there was some especially sinful thing that, um, that brought about his birth. And what he's saying is that he was sinful from the very beginning. That he didn't have a choice in the matter. He was born into his sinful circumstance. Someone else made the choice. Now, by no means does that uh, excuse David of his responsibility, as we see throughout the rest of the psalm. He fully takes responsibility for what he's done, but he also sees that he was born into slavery. He was born into submission to sin that was already there. Romans 5 says that sin and death entered the world not through each of us individually, through each of our own choices, but sin and death entered the world through, through Adam. All sin needed was the sinful choice of one human being, our first parents, Adam and Eve, and then it entered the world, it flooded the world, it infected everything. And ever since then, Paul tells us that there's this reign of death throughout human history. He says death reigns from Adam onwards. Now that sin entered the world, death enters the world through sin. Because what else can separation from the God who is himself life and the source of all life, what else can separation from him mean except death? Sin enters the world, death enters the world through sin. And from that point on, we're born as slaves to sin. We're born as citizens of a sinful world under a reign of death. Now, I realize how unpopular those things are, those ideas. We don't think of ourselves that way. We don't think of ourselves in terms of, of what we're in submission to or what, uh, what choices were made for us or how we're born uh, into a, a, a situation that uh, we're not free to simply shrug off. But that's what the scripture tells us. And Lent is, is precisely so that we can remember that. I think much of the rest of the year we spend uh, building up this idea, this illusion of our own self-sufficiency. 
Lent brings us back to that place of weakness. If, if for no other reason than the fact that um, we have an awful hard time keeping our Lenten disciplines, right? I mean, anyone here given up chocolate? You don't have to admit it, but ice cream, something like that. It's, you, you never realize uh, how weak you are until you choose a completely stupid thing to give up and then realize you can't give it up. Um, it's, it, we're, we're weak. We're weak. We're born into that state of weakness, submitted to the rule of sin and the reign of death. We recall those things during Lent, but we don't recall them, and this is important, we don't recall them in a spirit of despair. We don't recall them in a spirit of despair. We recall them precisely because there is hope. We listen to the words of St. Paul, who speaks of Adam and of death and sin reigning through Adam. He goes on, he says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Christ, in other words, withstood the temptation... When Adam could not. And where we cannot. If we look to that story of the temptation of Christ, we see three temptations. And we see that Christ chose to heed the word of God rather than to feed his own desires, the needs of his own flesh. He chose to meet doubt. You know, Satan twice asks him, if you are the son of God, do this. He's calling his identity into question. If you are the son of God, Turn these stones to bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down and let the angels catch you. But Christ chooses to meet that doubt, that uncertainty that Satan uh, uh, seeks to inspire in him. He chooses to meet that with trust rather than to try to prove his own status as God's son. And then in the end, Satan takes him to a high place and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. And he says, if you'll worship me, all of this can be yours. Why is that significant? Because that authority is precisely what Christ is there to gain. Uh, We read in Philippians 2 that because Christ humbled himself and became nothing, uh, God gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. That is precisely what Jesus was there to do, is to gain authority over all the kingdoms of the world, but what does Satan offer him? He offers him the authority... Without the sacrifice. The power. Without the pain. The victory. Without the cross. Worship me he says. And I'll give you all of this. Without the suffering. And Christ. Chose. Instead. To receive his authority through the cross. Through suffering. To me, the most encouraging part of this story of Christ's temptation is the very last verse, one that uh, is really easy to overlook. You can read it as just sort of the, the end, but that's not what it says. It's not just the end of the story. We read, the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Angels came to pick him up, put him back together, care for him. God sent his messengers to care for Jesus' needs. 
So in the end, God wasn't withholding his gifts from Jesus. He wasn't withholding uh, uh, food or, or uh, purpose or that, that sense of, of confidence or that sense of protection. He wasn't withholding his gifts from Jesus. He wasn't asking Jesus to do without. He only wanted him to wait. To wait for God's good timing. To seek those gifts from him in his way, in his timing, instead of from the world or the flesh. And Christ waited, and Christ succeeded where we fail. Paul goes on, he says, For as by the one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Christ obeyed. Here's why I share all this this morning. We are constantly tempted because we're humans, but especially because of the culture that we're born into. We are constantly tempted towards self-reliance, self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, self-satisfaction. Constantly. But if we will surrender to Christ and to his grace, if we'll let him, as the psalmist says, create in us a clean heart, if we'll look not to the world or to the flesh, but turn to prayer to seek God's provision, God's approval, God's strength, then each one of us, we are told, will find him mighty to save. It's true that much of our lives is outside of our control, that we don't get to choose whether we are sinful people any more than we get to choose the medical conditions of our parents. We don't get to choose that. We do get to choose whether we will follow Adam or Christ. Whether we'll continue to live under that reign of sin and the condemnation of the law and the rule of death. Or whether we'll receive the grace of Christ and let him do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. In other words, the question is, will we continue trying to live our own lives hopelessly lost in sin, trying desperately to prove ourselves by the law? Or will we daily surrender to Christ and ask him to live his life in us? To create in us a clean heart and to renew in us a right spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.